Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I was going through emails with Bob, and some of them were just funny, but some were very serious emails about life and the well-being of, of our children and how hard it is to appreciate one of those without the other being just right. In one email, we're talking about our kids, and I have it here. He wrote, one night soon, let's go out and have some meat and some good damn drinks and talk about how lucky we are that we have them. We love you, Bob. Jimmy Kimmel last night talking about his friend Bob Saget, who died over the weekend um, from getting his booster shot. Wow, wow, folks. I'd like to apologize on behalf of the entire team for my idiot co-host and his idiotic statement. (laughs) Michael's actually shaking his head. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, because that was a heartfelt thing about a nice guy from, from all accounts from Jimmy Kimmel, and then I yeah. turned it into a political thing. I'm, I'm like what uh, Fauci was complaining about with Rand Paul. Well, I'm like a weird double-reverse sarcastic political thing. It was impossible to follow. It failed as entertainment. It failed as science. It was kicking a man while he's in the grave. It was just it was disgusting on several levels. Well, it's back, n- to you. back to you. And... and, and- <laughs> And Betty White, Bob Dole, Bob Saget, and John Madden. The big four. Didn't all die because they got their booster shots, but that is a hot topic on the uh, the internets. Oh, for God's the, sake. The latest on Bob Saget is a heart attack or stroke, is what TMZ is saying, which is the most yeah. likely thing that kills an otherwise healthy 65-year-old. Tell you what, man, that's scary. Scary stuff. He'd had a pretty bad bout of COVID. I did read that, I think, from a credible source. And uh, that, that messes with some people's hearts and stuff. It does. It can, yeah. Um, uh, completely different topic. Why has this become a thing? But it has clearly become a thing. Um, I see it all the time. So I didn't watch the college championship game last night. George beat Alabama in an upset, blah, blah, blah. The Georgia quarterback, Stetson Bennett. What a cool name. Yeah, one of the coolest names ever, and he's like the fourth, isn't he? Stetson Bennett, Stetson the Bennett, the fourth. Good gosh, he's got to go on to great things. He also looks like he's sixteen, but I guess that's because I'm getting older. But college athletes playing sports, it looks like I'm watching junior high kids. But he he looks especially young. Who is Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett's girlfriend? Meet Cameron Liss. That has become a thing now. Anytime oh. a sports star emerges, it's all about meet their girlfriend and pictures of them. Pictures of them in bikinis, if we're lucky. Now, do we generate that, or do they generate that? Do they realize, does Patrick Mahomes' girlfriend, now wife, I think, did, did she say, I got to jump on this wagon and get, you know, a whole bunch of Instagram followers, or does the media just do that to you whether you want to or not? I think I would explain it like this. A large percentage of very attractive women, and, and dudes too, but especially women, would like as many people to know that they're attractive as possible. And so they got the Instagram page. It's carefully curated. They have the cutest shots up there. They may retouch them a little. They, you know, they got the, the bikini shots and the I'm fit and look at me, I'm wholesome and sexy shots. And they've got the followers and they're kind of proud of that. Then all of a sudden their significant other becomes nationally famous and their number of followers explodes. And then it's like, uh oh, do I want this? Right. In I'll, some cases they do. In some cases they really are just an attractive, you know, yeah. regular woman, and they think, oh God, what has this become? That's true. Practically all attractive w- young women have some sort of social media presence. 
Sure. And if your boyfriend or husband becomes famous, now all of a sudden you've got a million followers. And I'll bet you're right. I'll bet there's a certain amount. Ooh, I wanted followers to see me. Yeah. Not well, this and all many. the problems attendant. Yeah. You know, sickos, et cetera. Yeah. I've been mean to talk about this. This is a pretty serious topic. Um, Damn interesting, though. So while we were on break, New York Times had a big front page story. I think it was even their Sunday edition story about the Pentagon and how it's been misleading us throughout the entire war on terror about how many civilians we have killed. And um, I I found the story very, very interesting, and it got my attention. Hold on, I'm losing my notes here because I don't want to lose this. Um, Dang it, sometimes my phone flips back to something else when I'm talking about it. Uh, okay, I got it. Um, so the New York Times did this article about uh, how the Pentagon has been misleading us about how many civilians we've killed all through the war on terror. A lot of it, the drone strikes that Obama was such a fan of, that he got man such a pass on from the the media and the pacifist left that were okay with him just droning the hell out of people all around the world. And the Pentagon not being honest about how often we got the wrong people or how often we killed um, you know, 20 other people with the person that we're after and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I tweeted out that, that it was a troubling article, which some of you had a problem with, but I don't like being lied to by the Pentagon. I, I think we should have as much transparency as possible. I'm not a pure transparency person when it comes to military matters, because sometimes you need to keep this stuff secret so that you can win wars and win battles. But mm-hmm. certainly years after the fact, it shouldn't take investigative reporters to find out how many innocent people we kill with our drone strikes. Shouldn't we know that so we as a population can decide whether or not we like this as a policy? Yeah, it's a little complicated because a lot of people, a significant portion of the American public, I don't think can handle the truth, to quote Jack Nicholson and A Few Good Men, which is now like a 40-year-old movie, uh, or certainly 30. Um, You're fighting an enemy, the nature of which is they fight asymmetrically and often house themselves among civilians. I'm going to get into that angle a bit here in a second. But just in general, I I, I see what you're saying, but I I don't think we can have my view, my, my, my impression... Uh, as I was following the news during the war on terror, was that we were pretty good at it and occasionally killed some extra people, but not that often. That was my mm-hmm. impression of it. It turns out we kill lots of extraneous people all the time. Lots all the time with these drone strikes, just regularly, over decades. And, uh, and they were keeping a secret. David French, though, of the Dispatch, who is a good person to write an article about that, uh, put out a very good balanced perspective on that that he th- thought it was terrible that the New York Times did not mention. So David French, if you don't know his act, and we've had him on the show a couple of times, um, he's a lawyer, but among other things, after 9-11, he volunteered to go into the military as a married guy with kids. He volunteered to go into the military and served as a lawyer in Iraq, and it was his job to advise uh, leaders in the military, people above him, on whether or not we should conduct a drone strike, for instance. Wow. That he would be presented with the information, and then he would present to the commander, we have this much certainty that we got the right person, this is who's around, this is what's going to be destroyed, I, as a lawyer for the U.S. military, think this is a justified target, I say yes. And then it was up to the military commander whether or not to say yes. But he said they almost always took his advice. And the other way also, if he said, I don't think this is a good idea, 
And here's why they almost always took his advice that direction, too. You, know, you talk wow, about a, what a gig. Whoa. What a heavy responsibility. No kidding. But he made the argument, and it's the stuff that you already referenced, is that we have been fighting against people that do not follow the rules of war for decades, and the New York Times didn't acknowledge that. And a lot of people on the left don't acknowledge that either. There are rules to follow in war. You don't have to follow them. I mean, nobody can make you. You're at war. It's like the all's fair in love and war. Nobody can make you uh, do it. But if you're not going to play fair, you can't expect us to play fair. Because we can't. The rules all fit together. For instance, it's a basic element of the international law of armed conflict. I'm reading from David French's column. That combatants bear the responsibility of distinction or discrimination. Uniforms. There's a reason militaries wear uniforms. Um, It's so that you can differentiate your military population from your civilian population. That way, the enemy you're fighting uh, uh, attacks your military and not your civilians, for the most part. And uh, because you start attacking civilians willy-nilly, now you're getting into war crimes and that sort of stuff. The people we've been fighting against through the war on terror don't do that. So what are we supposed to do when we're fighting an enemy that refuses to play by those rules? Be in some sort of uniform so we know who the hell we're going to get. And he goes on, uh, the it's their responsibility to both discriminate between military and civilian targets and distinguish themselves from civilians. Getting back to what Joe was just talking about. So if you're going to fire on us from mosques or schools or hospitals, not in any sort of uniform, how the hell are we going to respond in a way that doesn't destroy a mosque or a school or a hospital and kill a whole bunch of people that weren't combatants because we can't tell the difference because you're not in uniforms. Well, and if there's one holdout juror remaining, maybe I can win you over with this. Remember that those forces, those organizations we're talking about, don't do that accidentally. Oh, of course They not. don't do it because they can't afford uniforms or they forgot where they put them. They do it deliberately yeah. to make civilized nations hesitate to strike. Excellent point that David French goes into uh, at great length. The reason they do that is so that we will have to blow up a hospital or a mosque or a school or whatever, and that they can use that as a PR win. And they, he, he, God, he uses an example of when he had to make a decision as a lawyer in Iraq of somebody that we wanted to kill who had been shooting at us, picking up a small child and running across a street and whether or not we should fire on that guy or not, because he was a sniper and was picking off our soldiers. He picks up a little kid to hold up as a shield so that he can make it across a road. And we wow. and he advised to not fire, and we didn't fire in that instance. But that's the sort of thing that we've been up against, and the New York Times didn't acknowledge that at all. Wow. Wow. When you're fighting an enemy that won't wear uniforms, fires on you from churches, schools, and hospitals, and will hold up little kids... For protection, well, yeah, a lot of innocents are going to be killed. And again, the New York Times didn't touch on that portion of it. Yeah, yeah, that surprises me. I mean, if you're going to go in-depth into a topic like that, I mean, just if you're a curious person, if you're an honest person, 
I find it really interesting to try to unknot the difficult moral and logistical questions of it. But evidently, they're not. Uh, they don't swing that way. The New York Times. They're just advocates. They're just litigators. They just wanted to make a case and it against makes it, the military. And it makes a better argument for the Pentagon keeping these numbers quiet because it takes a long explanation as to why so many civilians were killed. But David French makes the point, and I think he's absolutely right. Those deaths. Even though it was our bullets and bombs, those deaths are not on us. They're on you, dude. You were firing from a mosque surrounded by innocents. We had no choice to save our soldiers but to blow up that building. Those deaths are on you, not us. And again, the New York Times didn't, didn't want to hear that. Well, and what's especially ironic is the woke crowd at the New York Times would be the first hurled off of buildings and put against walls and shot etc by the you know the isis al-qaeda you know taliban sorts if they ever did take over the world yeah i thought that was a fascinating argument and kind of got lost in the shuffle of the uh the, the christmas break and everything like that but uh wanted to talk about it so there is a you know inside baseball political thing going on right now that is kind of the inside baseball political story of the day if you haven't heard it with stacy abrams and joe biden and it's getting a fair amount of chatter among people that chatter about that sort of thing it might be a pretty powerful sign of Biden's weakness, though. Oh, I promise you it is. If you haven't heard this, stay tuned for that and other stuff. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We've all seen the story of the person who's uh, on their eighth arrest, and people say, well, how'd this happen? How'd that assault happen? Well, there were seven prior times with that person struggling with addiction or mental health. We didn't connect that person to services. This is going to make us safer. It's intuitive. It's common sense. I don't understand uh, the pushback. That's that new radical DA in Manhattan talking about... uh, he doesn't understand why not arresting armed robbers and people who commit violent assaults and not uh, prosecuting them is getting pushback. Because they're obviously just troubled folks who need help. Let's reach out and help them. Yeah. Just crazy. Just craziness. Uh, you know, well, the, the, this... big, the biggest political story of the day, next segment. We'll have that for you. Yeah. And you've used the term inside baseball, but like if one pitcher shoots another pitcher, I guess that's inside baseball. (laughs) It's not that extreme, but it's pretty close. (laughs) Uh, You know, I've got this resignation letter from a CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Company journalist. Um, And it's really interesting, and it goes to show that this sort of thing is international. But the one part I'll share with you, and then we'll move on, maybe do it later, but it used to be I was the one furthest to the left in any newsroom, she writes, occasionally causing strain in story meetings with my views on issues like the housing crisis. I am now easily the most conservative frequently sparking tension by questioning identity politics. This happened in the span of about 18 months. My own politics did not change. That is stunning. How crazy is that? To work in the CDC, uh, to work at the CBC in the current climate is to embrace cognitive dissonance and to abandon journalistic integrity. You know, we're, 
I got this. I, I've got a, this is going to take up some time and derail you, but I've got a story that fits in with that from my personal life. I've told this story before, but this is what I think of when I hear that. I'm working at this bar. I'm the DJ at a bar. Did this for years. Big nightclub fit about three, four hundred people in there on a Friday and Saturday night when I'm working. And we played a combination of rock and roll and dance music. Early 90s, country gets hot. Owner decides there's more money in playing Garth Brooks than there is in playing, uh, you know, whatever was popular at the time. And uh, and we become a country bar. Same crowd shows up, for the most part, to the country bar and dances, but they're all wearing cowboy hats and jeans and stuff like that. Have a conversation with the the boss of the bar, like, do you think we should play any rock and roll or anything like that? And he said, let's, let's try. So, like, first night of the new country bar, change the name, change the decor, everybody there's line dancing and everything like that. I play a rock and roll song. It's like ACDC or something like that. And people rushed at the DJ booth, like fangs showing, <laughs> red-faced, leaped up, leapt up, leapt up on the DJ booth, were like swinging at me because wow. I was playing something that wasn't country music. And I'm thinking to myself, you guys were here last weekend when we were a like disco bar. Yeah. That's yeah. how that's how like into a a, a tribe and 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 full of, uh, a head full of steam we can get about crazes. And that's yeah, what the I think of thing is a craze. And that's what I think about that newsroom. In yeah. 18 months everybody switched to a completely different thing. Right, and she went from the most liberal to the most conservative. Wow. Yeah, how insane is that? It's, it's, it's beyond, well, it got accepted as human nature and figured out how to deal with it, I guess. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I get this, I saw that nearly 15,000 pounds of Walmart beef sticks have been recalled because they forgot to label a potential allergen. Yep, Walmart beef sticks must now have a label that says, warning, you're eating Walmart beef sticks. (laughs) (laughs) That is kind of funny, really. Really, do you need anything other than that? (laughs) Should it say anything other than, look, dude, you're eating Walmart beef sticks so you understand there are risks here and i'm fine with that i will eat walmart beef sticks but yeah exactly yeah the, the, you buy the ticket you take the ride come on you know i almost made a comment hey, wait a about second. that upset my stomach somebody should have told me it's like my brother all the way here uh driving from denver all the way here in my suv that i abandoned at the airport because of the blizzard um uh, he's a Combination of, as my dad says, uh, your brother Joe invented conservative, but uh, he is conservative with his money and his time, and so he he only ate at gas stations like gas station burritos, gas station hot dogs, <laughs> the combo stop. Yeah, and he said I need gas. I'm that, getting food. Said that really didn't treat his digestive system very well. Hey, I don't think really. <laughs> well, I and I I have an idea what age he is. He's just getting into that time of life when the stuff you used to be able to get away right. with, True. not so much. True you know, I was going to make a joke about Walmart Walmart uh, beef sticks and how uh, you know the various parts of the cow that may or may not go into those sticks. But then it occurred to me, haven't we all admired the Native Americans? For instance, they use every part of the buffalo, <laughs> right? 
Well, we use every part of the cow, including its, well, the usual list. Yeah, it's funny how when the Indians use every part of the buffalo, we think, oh, well, that's so spiritual and great. But when Oscar Mayer does it with hot dogs, we think it's disgusting. Yeah, eyeballs and blue knots, all of a sudden, <laughs> that's a problem. All of a sudden, that's disgusting. Come on now. Oh, that was coarser than it needed to be. What now? So, i got a political story here. I want to bring you along for the ride. I realize that there are some of you that follow politics more closely than we do, but then I also realize that there are... A lot of people that 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 don't, and you, and you probably shouldn't. But um, Joe Biden's given a speech today about the Voting Rights Act that the Democrats have been trying to jam through Congress here for a while. And it's a couple of bills. It's the federal government seizing control of elections, which the Constitution said is not their job. The argument of Democrats is that the evil Republicans look at January sixth, tried to steal an election and are now trying to pass laws suppressing the vote, and we need to do something to stop that. The uh, closer to the reality of it is, is that most of this stuff, the vast majority, is just going back to the pre-COVID rules, which everybody was fine with at the time. So why are they all of a sudden now Jim Crow laws? Which is one of the worst things said in American political history. And it's Jim this Crow makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. Well, that was one of the more incoherent things said in American history. The Jim Crow on steroids was utterly unforgivable. And he said that particularly about the laws in Georgia, which were just going to snap back to their pre-COVID laws, which weren't even as restrictive as his home state of Delaware or many other states in the country. So him claiming... That Georgia, the Republicans in Georgia, were going to enact Jim Crow-style laws should be grounds for impeachment. I mean, you're going out of your way to start a race war and drive a wedge between us in a way that is unconscionable in my mind. Agreed, 100%. Just just freaking unbelievable. And so uh, they can't get through the voting rights bills through the Senate because there aren't enough votes to get to 60 you would need all the democrats and 10 republicans and you're not going to get there so he's going to talk today about doing away with what they call the filibuster which is the requirement for 60 votes and make it just a straight majority vote so you'd only need 50 votes um that would be a heck of a move because everybody agrees and mitch mcconnell has basically said so already today uh you do that well let me read from what the new york times is saying about the story right now Um, The New York Times is reporting that Joe Biden will not go so far as to call for the abolition of the filibuster in total. He will not go so far as to call for a full-scale elimination of the filibuster, a Senate tradition that allows the minority party to kill legislation that fails to garner 60 votes. Instead, he will endorse changing the Senate rules to allow only for what he wishes to achieve in the next month around these voting rights acts but everybody seems to realize that once you do this it's just like with the judges um harry reed originally changed it from 60 to 50 to get lower level justices through well then the next time it's supreme court justices and then that's what will happen here and pretty soon all legislation will just be 50 votes and then the senate will just be why do we even have a senate it's the same as the house it's just it's just majority rule And it's a terrible idea, according to Joe Biden and Barack Obama and Chuck Schumer and Harry Reid. They're all on the record saying that it would be horrible to eliminate the filibuster. All of a sudden, Joe Biden's decided to do that. My favorite political pundits are reading it as Joe Biden knows 
back up just a second. Joe Manchin has already said today, Democrat, Senator, no way he's getting rid of the filibuster. Not a chance. He is not a vote. So they, they don't even have all the Democrats in line, let alone, you know, getting 10 uh, Republicans to go along with that. So there's not a chance that they're going to eliminate the, the filibuster. Joe Biden knows that. So he's only given this speech today, I guess, to satisfy the Twitter left. Joe Manchin said not long ago, I truly believe in my heart of hearts for the sake of our country that we have to have the ability for the minority. The way it works, the way it has always worked, we need to maintain that to have the minority to be able to stop legislation. So Joe Biden knows there's no chance of this. Let me read a quote from Joe Biden's speech that is going to happen later today. He is going to say, the next few days when these bills, the voting right bills, voting rights bills, the next few days when these bills come to vote will mark a turning point in this nation. We will choose democracy over autocracy. What? what, what, what? Light. The guy wanting to eliminate the filibuster is lecturing us about autocracy. That's kind of rich. We will choose democracy over autocracy, light over shadow, justice over injustice. I know where I stand. I will not yield. I will not flinch. Good over evil. Peanut butter over jelly. So he's making this a battle of good versus evil, and he will not flinch. It's a hill to die on. It's that important. Oh, it's good versus evil. And he says he's on the good side. So I, I got to vote for that because I'm for good and not for evil. I will defend your right to vote and our democracy against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And so the question is, where will the institution of the United States Senate stand? And that's when he's going to call for them to end the filibuster for voting legislation. They're then going to use a series of ropes to actually haul him up on a cross where he will pose for news photographers for five minutes. He's going to put up his hands and show that he has the stigmata. Good Lord, that may be one of the most overwrought paragraphs I've ever heard in my life. So clearly that analysis is right. Isn't it that he's just trying to satisfy the Twitter left? Why else would you go out on a limb like this to be as divisive of this as this when you know you don't have even you don't have Joe Manchin, you don't even have the Democrats, let alone the Republicans. So what are you what are you doing? Well, I think they are desperate to signal to some of their constituencies who are slowly but surely filtering off in the direction of the Republicans that uh, a these are incredibly important uh, topics and issues and b we're 100% with you on them it's 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 campaigning in essence um i find uh, are you about to get to the stacy abrams angle of that yeah it's just it's just look what we're trying to do see how hard we're trying look how hard we're trying vote for us next time please this is all terrible. Both sides have been playing this game that elections aren't fair, elections are rigged, the other side is evil, for way too long now, and enough people believe it that I'm not sure we're going to be able to continue to go forward as a country, as a democracy. I really didn't think Joe Biden would do this. I really didn't think he would. Nope, me neither. Um, so Stacey Abrams, who is kind of the poster child from a couple election cycles ago for stealing elections, the Democrats and Rachel Maddow and other people like that decided that the Georgia election was fraudulent and she would be a U.S. senator if it hadn't have been for the... Was she running for senator governor? Because she's uh, running for governor now. Governor, yeah. That she uh, lost in an unfair election. There's no evidence to back that up. It was a perfectly okay election. But they went with the narrative that was stolen, and everybody on the left just kept nodding along that Stacey Abrams got robbed, probably because she's a black woman, and it was an unfair election. So this is her issue. This is her signature issue, Stacey Abrams running for governor 
in her hometown. In Georgia, Joe Biden is going to Georgia because Georgia is ground zero for Jim Crow on steroids. And this is where Stacey Abrams is, except she said she's got a scheduling conflict, so she can't be with the president for his big speech today. Oh, Tuesday? Did you say Tuesday? Oh, I'm getting my hair done. So sorry. So, so the president's going to her town on her issue to speak, and she's got something going on. I said, you're kidding me. And a fair number of people are reading this as he is so weak in the polls right now, or so disliked by, I don't know who, by black voters, by the woke, by, I don't know who. But he's not popular enough for her to want to be up on stage with him. He's a loser. You don't Which, want to hang out with a loser. She's the future, or at least she would like to be. Huh. I'm surprised by that. I didn't. I didn't think he was unpopular enough that you wouldn't want to show up on stage with him for your signature issue. I would think you'd want to give a speech and you know get your turn. Well, it's a kick in the bat ahead of calf care. There's no doubt about that. If I busted my neck, <laughs> this idea is a bunch of malarkey. Back in his coherent days. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't just, know. It's sowing more seeds of discord and hatred. Right, it's a, it's a, it's performative. Every, all, practically everything that happens is performative. The speech is performative. He no, he's not actually trying to persuade anybody. He, it's already done. Manchin came out and said, "Yeah, I'm a no vote." So this is a no go. And yeah. he's still going to go out and say this. It's performative. Well, and as you pointed out, the whole every election is now decried uh, as fought fraudulent by the losing side. Um, that is what Abe Lincoln warned us about, the fact that no foreign invader could possibly penetrate our shores, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the only way we die is is by self-inflicted wounds. I think this might be the self-inflicted wound. And as Sarah Isger said on ABC This Week a couple of Sundays ago, she said in the 2024 election, the Democrats lose a close election, especially to Trump, and they're going to be rioting. And Stephanopoulos said, oh, Democrats too? Really? You think so? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Wow. Yeah, it's not good. It is not good. God, I remember, and I'm not that old. I remember in elections, even if it was kind of a close election, if your side lost, you just thought, dang it. You're really unhappy with it, but you didn't think it was rigged. Now everybody thinks they're all rigged. Every election, yeah. Not good. Not good. And Joe Biden is going to further that. He's going to, he's going to throw gasoline on that fire today. Rather than try to talk people down and try to reestablish some belief in our elections, he's going to throw gasoline on it. Just fantastic. Just fantastic. And then we end up with true international care. Come on, Michael. What do I have to, like, True international depression. (laughs) Play it one more time. Every time I try to figure out what he's saying here. True international depression. No, wow. I don't know. I don't know. True and in the national depression. True and in the national depression. That's tough. <laughs> and that's a long one. That's not just, a, you know, everybody stumbles over the words. I do it every single day, but not for that long. True and in the national depression. <laughs> Man, if that was a riff on the guitar, I'd be working on it for hours and I'd be swearing and my fingers would hurt and all. I just can't quite get it down. True and We'll finish strong next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. 
Yo, 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 finishing strong. That's what we're doing here. I certainly hope so. And on a life-affirming note, perhaps, unless this goes too quickly, then we can get back to depressing crap. Um, I came across this, and I really, really liked it. I have so many complaints about the media. American media, we're talking about the Canadian media has gone veered hard left as well. It's just crazy. Uh, but uh, the other day, who wrote this column? Uh, Chris Starwald actually wrote it, formerly of Fox News, now of The Dispatch. Um, and he talks about uh, the, the state of journalism. And in one of his last duties, before he left the New York Times as the media columnist, Ben Smith interviewed Brandon Brown. Let's you go, Brandon. That name? Let's go, Brandon. Twenty-eight-year-old stock car driver whose first ever NASCAR win ended up getting overshadowed by the F. Joe Biden, which became Let's Go, Brandon, <laughs> which Steyerwalt believes is sad because it's a dumb vulgarity. I just think it's funny, and people need a laugh, and Chris Steyerwalt ought to lighten the hell up. <laughs> but, but. He goes on to say, Brown is a Republican, but wants nothing to do with a taunt against the president. It's just, it's too dangerous, because he's a brand. Let's go, Brandon! Exactly. But neither does he want to alienate the overwhelmingly conservative Republican NASCAR audience. Conservative or Republican, because those don't always match these days. So this Ben Smith uh, asks Brandon Brown for an interview. Brown, when Brown agreed to be interviewed by Smith, he was willingly strapping himself in with one of the most unflinching interviewers in the business. The perils would have been just as real with a reporter from Fox News or another Let's Go Brandon kind of outlet, too. But the cultural distance added a layer with Smith. Yale graduated New Yorkers who are renowned tastemakers, like Ben Smith, are not the obvious go-to people for, uh, go-to for people who hang around with pit crews in Woodbridge, Virginia. That's Brandon Brown. Smith could have given Brown enough rope to hang himself, gently leading the conversation back to hot-button issues until the subject said something that could produce a rage-click headline. Rage-click headline, that's a good term. Yeah. Or Smith could have squeezed Brown with gotcha questions. What do you think about the way NASCAR has treated black drivers, Brandon? Do you condone the racism shown by some fans? But Smith did neither, and I quote, this is Ben Smith, I don't know a lot about him, but I'm curious to know more. He says, and I quote, he seemed resigned to the ritual of being interviewed by a newspaper reporter, and I think he would have sat there with me by the track for quite a while more, navigating subjects he's never really thought about. We never got that far. It just didn't seem fair. I found myself thinking, I'd prefer to live in a country that permits race car drivers, actors, and musicians to avoid being grilled by people like me. So I just made a quick exit. Wow. Oh, my God, what a breath of fresh air attitude that is. He thought, this is a nice young man who races cars. Why would I steer him into controversy intentionally to get clicks? I won't do it. Wow. Good for you, Ben. your host for Final Thoughts, Joe Getty. The haunting theme. It haunts. Let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew to wrap things up for the day. Our technical director presses the buttons in the control room. Michelangelo. Michael, your final thought. Yeah, my voice is gone, but I think it's from yelling over the weekend. I watched a lot of NFL football, and I was yelling at the TV. Really? Yeah. I you're, think I just, you're a yell at the TV in your own I home, I was this, this weekend, I was, yeah. Huh. And you're not even a drunk. No. Huh. 
Speaking of superfans, our young behind-the-scenes producer, young Alex, has a thought. Final thought, Alex? You gotta get those vocal cords tuned up. Uh, Another example of me turning into my father. I was super excited to receive an Amazon package yesterday. It was a potato ricer and a waffle iron. (laughs) Yeah. My life is so exciting. (laughs) There you go. potato ricer? It makes really creamy mashed potatoes. Oh, that sounds good right now. Oh, wow. That's worth it. Uh, Whatever it takes. Uh, Jack, a final thought for the folks? Epic Nerf gun battles at my home. I guess that's what happens when you got no woman in the home. You just got a, a dad and two boys of the perfect age. Somehow I got to figure out how to win. I went out first both battles yesterday. I don't think it's my gun. I think it's my tactics. I don't know. I got hmm. beat by a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old. Well, it could be that they're probably a lot faster than you are and have more energy. Better trained <laughs> army. That could be. Best trained, best equipped army in the house is your boys. You don't have a final thought? Yeah. Okay. Don't tell Armstrong and Getty wrapping up out of the grueling four-hour workday. Plus, we're out of time. So many people who thank so little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. If you see something we ought to be talking about, send it along. If you miss a chunk of the show, grab it via podcast, wherever you get podcasts, or armstrongandgetty.com. I am slower of foot than they are, and that could have a lot to do with it. See you tomorrow. God bless America. Listen up, Jack Wagon. What are you doing? Worst episode ever. That's the fact, Jack. Have you considered being good at your job? I'm done with this. No, no, no. Sorry. I'm rubber and you're glue. Bad names bounce off me and stick to you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just complete, utter nonsense. You dare to dance in the path of greatness. It was epic. And that's it. Oh, Words. Damn. Whap. 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 Whoa. Whoa. Okay. On that high note, thank you all very much. Armstrong and Getty.